Welcome to the Lead Defend Podcast, a show designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build up your faith as you engage a changing culture. Now, here are your hosts. Hey, this is Ryan and Brock. We have another guest, uh, Chris Coleman, with us. Chris has actually been with us on a couple episodes now. Yeah, yeah. If you listen to our most recent episode on dinos, dinosaurs, we talked a little bit about creation, whether we believe in old earth creation, young earth creation, and and got in that a little bit, but we wanted to do a whole episode specifically on that. Hmm. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, you may go back and listen to that first. You get to hear Brock actually roar like a screaming pterodactyl. Roar, roar is a bit is of a generous. stretch. Roar is, is generous. It? Okay, it's okay. Very generous, it's yeah. good. It's good. So, Chris, let me just start it this way. How old is the Earth? <laughs> wow, that's pretty direct, right? Yeah, there. yeah. I mean, so, if yeah, the Earth I, had a birthday cake, how many candles would be on it? <laughs> that's the way to ask the question. Well, in Again, uh, interpretation of Scripture varies within Christian in this. You have old earth, you have young earth. Uh, I started out old earth. I, I've become young earth over the years as I have eliminated a lot of assumptions made looking at both the Scriptures and just the scientific data. Uh, but from a Christian worldview, you are looking at a little over 6,000 years. Uh, and the way we get there, and we talked about this in the other podcast, is we look at those boring boring lineages. I'm using mm. boring facetiously yes. here. but air quotes. Yeah, air quotes, boring. Um, it's not boring. It's incredibly fascinating when you dig into it. But nobody wants to dig into it because they don't want to pronounce names like we discussed last time, like our facts yeah. had. And so we just kind of blah, 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 and we skip through that when we're yeah. reading, right? Um, but those are things that are there for a reason. And if you look at those lineages, starting with Adam, you know, we Adam lived to be about 130, begat Seth, and Seth lived 90, begat Enos, and so forth and so on. You eventually come up with a, a timeline that lays out to about 6,000 years old. About 4,400 years ago, there was a flood. And that's a lot of what we hit on the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, about 6,000 years to answer your question. Wow. That's a lot of candles. It's a lot of candles to fill or, in one Or a big cake. cake. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And so 6,000 years old, why is it important, the age of the earth? Well, it's an important topic for a few reasons, but uh, I think one of the bigger ones, which we hit on a little bit last episode, was just our um, our view of the scriptures, uh, whether we believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. And if we believe that, and the Bible says that he created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh, uh, then do we believe what the Bible actually says concerning that? Because uh, the day H there, you would say, oh, those weren't literal days. Those were periods of time. And it doesn't line up, but here we are. You know, it's was it literal days or was it not? The other issue to contend with that we also discussed a little bit last episode is the whole issue of death before sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because the Bible's pretty clear that, you know, death came into the world by sin and sin came into the world by man. And specifically, that man was Adam. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so if death came into the world by Adam, when Adam arrived on the scene... Uh, was he already standing upon the entire geologic column full of death, suffering, and mutation or not? And wow. And that's a big question. Yeah, and, and really rests on the authority of Scripture, like yeah. you said. That's it. Uh, and, and this takes us even further back, or what some would argue further back, to how did it all begin? Some would say it began with the Big Bang. Yep. Uh, some would say they know the Big Banger is God. <laughs> and is that all correct? Uh, where do you even start the conversation on 
well, dictating be, what's right or not. I mean, according to the scripture, it began with God speaking. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I would imagine if God spoke, it'd probably be pretty loud. Yeah, maybe maybe you're confusing that bang with just the voice of God. Yeah. I, but uh, and now that wouldn't line up with, uh, was it First Kings 19, I think it is, with... Uh, Elisha being uh, or Elijah in the mountain because uh, of the whisper. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, sometimes it's God. still small voice. Sometimes it's sometimes it's booming. booming. Uh, in this case, banging. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't fall in line, and, and that's where you got to define what is the big bang. Then um, the scripture is pretty clear that God spoke, and He even gives the order in the Genesis accounts in Genesis one and mm-hmm. Genesis two. Yep. The order in which he created things, and there's reasons for that order, uh, and and so mm-hmm. I would fall there that he did that. Uh, now, as we're looking at Christian, then talking about evolution versus creationism is the argument that on a, on a broader scale is generally posed. That's right, uh, guys. Sir Arthur Keith, he wrote Evolution and Ethics in 1959. Mm-hmm. He said uh, the law of Christ is incompatible with the law of evolution, and he went on to say, nay, the two laws are at war with each other. Hmm. Wow. And so that's, that's a pretty direct statement, and, and I would say this, guys, we are at war with one another. There's a war out there for the hearts and minds of men and women, and, uh, and it's nothing new. This war has been going on for a long time, and the tactics, guys, haven't changed that much mm. since, since going even back to the garden. Yeah. Because really, that, that garden argument is what we're still dealing yeah. with Did to God this really day. say? Did God say? Yeah, it's the first thing the serpent says. He asks Eve a question. Did God really say that? So he's getting her to doubt God's word. And then he goes on a step further and says, yeah, you surely won't die if you do that fruit. So now he's gone from doubting God's word to denying God's word. And then next, he, in the next verse, he says, if you eat of that fruit, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And so that's deifying man. That's putting mm-hmm. man in God's place. Man's defining what is right, what is wrong, what, what is moral, what is immoral. And so, um, so yeah, guys, these, that, that, the tactics, the war, none of this is new. Mm-hmm. This has all been here for a long time, uh, this argument. And God programmed each one of us um, with a desire to seek out the answers to those. Yeah, to seek out truth. Yeah, to seek out truth. I mean, that's every philosophy class you take, whether it's freshman philosophy somewhere or whatever, they're going to have some form of what are, what are called the great philosophical questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Which is what we're discussing today. What am I worth and where am I going mm-hmm. when I die? And so, guys, the answers to this particular topic we're dealing with today, God himself wrote those things into Every mm-hmm. single culture in the world that's ever existed. Wow. Because mm-hmm. they've all sought after answers to those questions. Yeah. So we've talked about why it's important. I mean, it's important because it is a war, a philosophical war going on for what people believe and what they'll believe about themselves. Um, but how do you come to the conclusion? Like, how do you come to the right conclusion about the Big Bang, about creation? Well, I know for me, like initially, um, because I, I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, I was actually a pretty anti-Christian atheist. Uh, came to Christ as a college student, and assumed when I came to Christ, I hadn't delved into these things much. So sure. they were like, yeah, God used evolutionary processes. That's what I'm seeing. Um, and for me, what it turned into was I began as I began looking at that data and then looking at the scriptures as God's word. I began to see a lot of incongruencies, mm-hmm. both in what the scriptures had to say about about death and about sin. And more so, even what the science had to say. So, can I push that a bit further? So, you're saying I had to decide was what I had understood wrong, or were scriptures wrong? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Wow. And when those two finally hit together, I was like, "All right, I've been lied to." And uh, and I, I would say a lie, not to get conspiracy theorist here, because I think we as Christians go way too far down that line sometimes, especially lately. But um, but the fact is, there is a conspiracy out there. But the conspiracy is not born in the hearts and minds of men. Hmm. The conspiracy is the enemy. 
Wow. And that, so you talk about this conspiracy to subvert uh, Christianity and culture, to subvert the, the scriptures being in our schools, things like that. Um, Hitler said this, if you tell a lie loud enough and long enough and often enough, the people will believe it. Wow. Hmm. And then later on in one of his later statements, he said the people are more likely to believe a big lie than a small one. Wow. And you're talking about a big lie that hmm. we are the pinnacle of all evolution yeah. And, and pro, you know, we're, we're called Homo sapien, by the way. Or actually, we're Homo sapien sapien. Sapien meaning wise. Yeah. We're the wise wise. And yet the Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Wow. Right? And so um, so you look at the lies that are in the culture. And guys, I'll be first. Like, I love science. I'm oh, not yeah. against science. I love yeah. science. I'm an avid reader. Um, I love science. And uh, there's, there's just some uh, poison mixed in with it. Uh, and I'll use sure. a, a word picture here. I'll try not to take too much time with this. But... Uh, I had some uh, some ladies who came to my door one time that were from the LDS community, and uh, the younger one was up on my porch, asked for my wife's about my wife's age. She wasn't home at the time, and they said, "Hey, can we talk to you?" And so this girl started down her spiel of things, and uh, and I she you know they in their spiel they have points and say, "Do you have any questions?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, I got some questions." And so I asked her some questions about her theology. Uh, eventually, make a long story short, the older lady ends up on my porch, and she's asking me a bunch of questions. And guys, let me tell you. In what she was stating, she was quoting large portions of the Gospel of John and the Epistle of 1 John, and I recognized them for what they were. She didn't use the references, but that's what she's quoting. And in the end, she figures out she's not going to convert me, so she says, hey, what do you think about people's slightly differing beliefs about Jesus? And that's really where we are even on this evolution topic within the church. We have different wow. beliefs in the church. And, and so uh, my response was, have you ever looked at the back of a box of rat poison? And she got a confused look on her face. She's like, what do you mean, rat poison? Hmm. I said, if you look at rat poison, rat poison's 99.995% good food with a little bit of poison mixed in, 0.005% poison. So now what you just quoted to me, I recognize it for what it was. That was good food. That was the Gospel of John, and that was First John. But you got a little bit of poison mixed into your theology, and just like it leads to death for that rat, it's going to lead to spiritual death for you. Wow. And, uh, and then she gave me the, the <laughs> literature and left. But that's where we're at in our education system. Wow. There's a lot of good food. There's a lot of great science out there, a lot of great data. It's the interpretation of data and the poison mixed in that's, mm -hmm. that's flooding things. And, and we should expect that in this spiritual warfare that's going on yeah. right now. So you're saying you don't have to, if, if you're going to you know, believe in some type of creationist beginning, that God is the origin of all things, have a faith in the Bible— in order to hold those, you don't have to throw all science out, write off all science to, to no. hold both together. No, not at all. I mean, he spoke everything into existence, this God did. He created the laws of physics, the things that govern biology. Mm -hmm. In fact, you even look at God's Word. Um, I, one of the statements I get uh, from people occasionally when I'm doing Q&As at universities or whatever, they'll say, hey, are you a Trinitarian? And I'm like, yes, I believe the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's what you're defining that as. And they'll say, well, why does the God of the Old Testament seem legalistic and wrathful, but the Jesus of the New Testament is like, hey, just love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and so forth and so on. And uh, part of me wants to say, well, did you read to the book of Revelation? <laughs> what a generalization. <laughs> yeah, because he's coming back with a sword and you know, like, tattoos on him. It's not, it's not the same Jesus yeah. you're thinking. But the other aspect of it, when you're looking at uh, the God of the Old Testament, first off, if you think the God of the Old Testament is legalistic and wrathful, you don't understand the Old Testament. Right. Uh, God is all about redeeming His people, protecting yeah. His people, the whole, everything. There's of the a Bible. lot of patience there. Oh, incredible amount of patience. Uh, with some very odd, to quote 
what God said about the people uh, when talking to Moses, an obstinate people prone to sin. Mm-hmm. But you look at Levitical law, guys. There's tons of cool science in Levitical law. Oh, yeah. Like, our nutritional science is still catching up with what the Bible's had to say about nutrition all along. Mm. Like, it's, it's incredible what's there. And I use this example sometimes talking with students. I'm like, hey, Leviticus talks about if you touch a dead body, go outside the city away from other people. Uh, we would call that quarantine today, which people guess quicker now, 2020, post-2020. Yep, that's right. Um, but then wash yourself in running water, it specifically says, and use the ash from this ox as you do so, which that ash and that water mixed together form a substance called lye, like lye soap. Hmm. We didn't understand what germs were and how sickness were spread until the last you know couple hundred years. And here God is giving the Israelites the prescription for soap and getting them to wash in running water, hmm. which carries away the bacteria from touching that dead body. He is the God, this isn't a God being legalistic. This is God putting logical, loving limits upon his children because he loves them and he's protecting them. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's something that we just have to dispel as we look at uh, the Old Testament God. But I, I know I've gotten us off track here from the Big Bang and what we're talking on. But uh, uh, No, but I think you're, you're talking about something helpful because you're talking about uh, the poison that comes from trusting in false things. I, I heard somebody say this, Chris, and, and it it's really been a shaper for me the rest of my life. If you take evolution to its logical conclusion that we are humans, a series of happenstances, uh, significant accidents over a period of time, and our mind is developed that way, then that means people who've come up with evolution are coming up with it from a brain that's just a series of accidents over time. Mm-hmm. So how can you even trust the thoughts of your mind? Uh, and that that really stuck with me. Whereas if you believe the Bible says that God's imprinted himself on our hearts yeah. and in our minds, then he wants to lead us to the truth. Well, evolution accounting for things like general morality, uh, I mean, you just can't account for that yeah. in and of just a purely evolution mindset or a naturalistic mindset. Uh, and also, and I mentioned them earlier, the great philosophical questions. Mm-hmm. Why does every culture want to answer the same questions? Yeah. Who am I? Where did I come from? Well, where am I going? Where did I die? And what am I worth? I mean, it's one of the big things right now in our culture at the moment is identity. Right. I mean, all those are identity-based questions because God programmed that into us. So why the Big Bang? Like, why, why are people convinced that this is the way it all started? Well, I, even within—I I just want to make it clear, too, that even within natural scientists or secular scientists, mm-hmm. even they recognize there's some pretty big issues with what has been commonly called the Big Bang. Sure. There, there's some pretty major issues that exist there. Um, and, and even when you get into planetary and stellar formation, we don't know how a single um, star managed to form at this right. point. We have theories about it, but we don't, mm-hmm. we don't see – we actually don't see stars forming. We have things that we think might be stars forming um, that we see as – we identify as like stellar um, nurseries or whatever, but we've never actually seen it happen. Now, we mm. see stars explode all the time. Sure. We see supernovas happen all the time, but we don't see stars form. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, really, when you're talking about why do people all believe this, well, first off, you got to understand that not everybody even fully believes what the Big Bang, or agrees upon what, from a scientific standpoint, okay. what the Big Bang is. Um, but you're saying that, uh, that everything, and let's just talk about from a general stance what the Big Bang is, uh, what's generally defined in most textbooks. If you look in, you know, elementary school textbooks. Sure. They're going to say that all the matter in the universe was condensed down to a very, very dense region, a very small region. Now, initially, uh, in the original theories that were put out the Big Bang, uh, at one point it was 275 million miles across. Oh, wow. Then you move through history, and eventually it got down to the, uh, to quote a textbook, 
uh, all the matter in the universe was condensed down to a, a place as small as the period on this page, hmm. and then eventually to one trillion, trillionth the diameter of a proton to eventually nothing. In fact, Discover Magazine in 2002, the cover of their magazine uh, has a dot in the middle of it, and it says the universe at actual size at 10 to the whatever <laughs> second time. And, uh, and then this, there's a study by, uh, I think it's Alan Guth, if I recall, uh, talking about the universe, this dot, because the question is, where did the dot come from? Sure. Because the first law of thermodynamics states that matter and or energy, energy cannot be created nor destroyed, only transferred and transformed. Mm -hmm. So where does the matter come from? Where does the energy come from to get the dot moving and, yeah. uh, and to explode it? You still got to have some type of first cause. You have to have a first cause. And so they don't know what the first cause is, so they said, well, it evolved from nothing. It came from nothing, hmm. this, this first thing. So I'm like, so nothing exploded, and here we are. That's really what you're telling me? Yeah. Uh, so some real issues to be dealt with yeah. there. But all the matter began to spin faster and faster and faster in this incredibly infinitesimally small region until eventually it exploded. And, and it went out and formed uh, stars and galaxies and everything that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, so some people want to say, all right, you believe that God created everything. Well, what created God? You've got to explain that that's your problem. That's the tension they feel with the Christian worldview is, is who or what created God. But you're saying the atheistic worldview, the evolutionary worldview, has the same burden, but they have to explain who, created who or what created nothing. Nothing, yeah. That's, and that's one of the questions you can ask them is hmm. like, hey, you know, either the universe is—somebody made the world or the world made itself. Yeah. But it had to come here by some means. Sure. So uh, you, you've got to have a means— uh, by which it happens. Which, by the way, universe, we, we've used that word a couple of times. Mm -hmm. You guys realize universe, uni means single, and verse means spoken word or sentence. In our English hmm. language, God spoke and then it was. That's where the word universe wow. comes from. I'd, I'd never realized that. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's incredible uh, when you get into the etymology of that word. But yeah, this Big Bang, um, there's a few questions to ask. All right, so first off, where did all the matter come from? We've addressed yeah. that one, right? Uh, where did the laws that govern that matter come from? Hmm. Hmm. So, and why aren't the laws themselves still evolving? Because as the matter evolves, the laws themselves that govern said matter should also evolve. The laws mm -hmm. like gravity, centrifugal force, inertia, all those things. So why aren't those laws still evolving? Where did all the energy come from, which is really exchanged for the matter, but where did the energy come from to even get that dot spinning again? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then um, one of the last questions, this is going to sound funny when I ask this, is uh, the scientists that propose this, have they ever seen a merry-go-round? And, you mean uh, like the the kids thing that like you ride? The, like the kids thing that you ride? I mean, ride. I still ride them, but it's mostly kids. But on most playgrounds don't have them these days. Apparently, no, they're like a major dangerous. liability too issue. Dangerous, yeah, yeah. I, how we, we survive the eighties? They, I don't they know. put governors on them now. There's governors, governors on them, so you can't spin them. Super, like there's a limited speed which which they can go. Wow, wow. that's some helicopter parenting hmm. there. Um, Hey, a lot of uh, entire generations survived the merry-go-rounds just fine. Like I'm here. Some of them maybe didn't, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I don't, I there don't know. Have been an there may have been some, and that's rough. Yeah. But, you know, so, uh, but merry-go-rounds. <laughs> so we'll pose this experiment will not work apparently on a modern-day merry-go-round. Um, <laughs> so uh, just to preface that, you got to go to an old park. You have to go to an old park to find this. But let's Listen, say I think I know what you're about to to describe, and this is why they put governors on them. I was talking to a playground. We just built a playground at our church. And I was talking to our, the developer, and he's like, yeah, we put governors on them now so that no one can come in with, like, a motorcycle wheel and set the wheel up to the merry-go-round and rev it up and have that thing going because Whoa, what happens— There's been TikTok videos of that. People fly off. People fly off. That's mm -hmm. just it. So, and here's the experiment usually I'll pose is uh, let's take the high school football team at Rogers High 
and let's put my uh, my fourth grader on there, my 10-year-old let's boy. Let's go Hudson. All right, so we're going to put Hudson on there. We're going to get them to spin it. In phase one of this experiment, the kids say, hey, go faster, go faster, right, as we approach 30 mile an hour. You get to about 60 mile an hour. Now they're not talking so much. No. Uh, they're concentrating on holding on and not dying. Um, and uh, in the beginning, the scream, stop, stop. And then you hit f- the next phase of this experiment. And here's what you're going to see. Uh, Hudson's little body is going to fly off said merry-go-round. And as it flies, it's going to fly in a straight line, but there's going to be a rotation to it as it flies. Hmm. And so if the original merry-go-round was going clockwise, as his little body flies, <laughs> it's weird to talk about my kid's body flying through the air. <laughs> as his body flies through the air, um, it will fly straight, but it will rotate as it's flying. Hmm. And that rotation will always be clockwise if the original thing he flew off of was clockwise. And it's a law that we can observe in physics. It's called the conservation of angular momentum. Okay. And, uh, and so here's where this ties into the Big Bang. Um, so you're saying all the matter in the universe was condensed down to this dot. The dot explodes. All this matter flies out. And this dot was spinning, right? And so here's what we should see play out. We should see conservation of angular momentum play out. Everything should be spinning the same direction. Hmm. But it's not. Uh, so Venus, Uranus, and possibly Pluto rotate backwards from the six other planets. Uh, eight of the 91 moons in our solar system have uh, uh, that rotate have moons that rotate backwards or in both directions in some cases. Uh, and so people will say, well, maybe something hit these some point back billions of years ago to reverse their spin or their hmm. orbit. Uh, which sounds, hey, if you believe that, and you believe it, it's been Dude, you know billions of years. Like maybe you know, but don't you think it's going to leave a dent? Like <laughs> to reverse an entire planet or a moon's rotate. It's going to leave a dent. You're going to see evidence of that. Um, but then the real problem comes in is now that we have telescopes that are seeing other galaxies with, to greater degrees, there's entire galaxies that are rotating in the wrong direction. Hmm. And so if all this matter originated from the same spinning dot, you should have conservation of angular momentum working its way out, but it doesn't. In fact, CNN in 2000, this is an older article, but 2002, Goofy Galaxy Spins in Wrong Direction was one of their articles that was put out. Uh, it was when we had the Hubble at that point. Now yeah. we've got better telescopes than the Hubble. But uh, but it observed this for the first time. We observed a galaxy moving the wrong direction. Also assumes ours is the one moving in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Well, and then you got issues like the, the chemical properties, all right? So in stellar and planetary formation, you know, these pieces are breaking off on one another, and because of gravitational forces, they're staying closely aligned with one another, staying in orbit of one another. And so as we look at the chemical composition of the sun and the pl- surrounding planets, guys, 98% of the sun is hydrogen or helium, hmm. all right? So less than 2% of Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars is hydrogen or helium. Hmm. Wow. They're composed of very different things. So I'll give you an illustration. Uh, let's say that uh, I chop my hand off on this table here, and you analyze what that hand's made of. What you're going to find is that hand's made of very similar things to that I made of, it's right? Made of Chris Coleman. Yeah, it's made of Chris Coleman parts. Um, it, you should see some more consistency in the composition of these bodies. If it all came from one little. If it all dot, came from yeah. yeah, and we just don't see that that consistency working its way hmm. out. Uh, we also see a lot of clumps. Uh, we also see a lot of blue stars, uh, non-evenly distributed matter. There's just a lot of issues to be dealt with. Now, a counter-argument. Let me just put this out there. A counter-argument for this when you're dealing with uh, planets and stars and you know these long distances is, uh, well, how do we see stars that are billions of light years away in our night sky as we look up hmm. if the Earth is only 6,000 years old? Wow. And so that's one of the questions that, that comes up often. First off, I think um, 
there's a few different views within Christianity, within even the young earth spectrum uh, on this. One of them is, which makes a lot of sense, is, um, you know, when God created Adam, he didn't create Adam as a baby, right? Yeah, that's right. He was already a, a man. And so uh, God created a mature creation. He created the creation with the photons from those stars already present on our earth because hmm. the stars were appointed as signs in the that's sky, right? Yeah. And so he, he, he created a mature creation, which accounts for a lot of the things that we see out there. Yeah. Uh, another view of that is what's called time light dilation that we don't necessarily have you guys seen the movie interstellar yes uh, yeah. so like the, it hits on this principle some um, that one speed of light is not a constant but two that uh, that there's dilation of that mm. over time mm. and uh, and we also see something called the red shift as we look out at stars and planets uh, it's the the shifting of the light spectrum that indicates a stretching and, uh, and that stretching, that time and light stretch, uh, is kind of where they come into this, which lines up with Scripture, because Scripture actually says he stretched out the heavens. Wow, yeah. Uh, so uh, to me, that's pretty interesting. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of views on this um, as we look out. But huh. the other thing, when you get into the evolutionary part of it is, you know, we mentioned the first law of thermodynamics. Matter and or energy cannot be created and restored, only transferred yes, and transformed. Yeah. Well, the second one is the law, it's commonly called the law of entropy. Everything tends towards disorder. And so it, without a complex mechanism to, harv- to harness energy, everything tends towards disorder. Mm-hmm. And yet evolutionary processes in the Big Bang Theory would say, well, we started off simple as a, you know, eventually a single-cell organism, complex, yeah. and we got more complex over time. Huh. But the second law of thermodynamics, it's a provable, statable law of, of yeah. science, says, no, everything tends towards disorder. And actually, it's in the Scripture. Uh, Hebrews 1, verses 10 and 11 mention this. Everything waxes old as a, as a garment does. It talks hmm. about everything tending towards disorder. It's right there in the Bible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a problem, too, when you're looking at this. And especially, let me hit on this really quick from the evolutionary standpoint. Sorry, I'm talking a lot here. No, this is great. This but, is helpful. So, from the evolutionary standpoint, so that dot explodes. Everything's you know, eventually you had the Earth forming about 4.6 billion years ago. The Earth mostly being initially volcanic and then later oceans when water began to rain on them. In that ocean was this, this complex soup, this chemical. It's called the primordial soup, they say. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, eventually what's called biogenesis. Mm-hmm. All right. Biogenesis is the first living cell by chance coming into existence, right? Um, Guys, do you know, uh, I, and it, this is really interesting. I, uh, even in other countries when I've talked, I can ask this question. What is the mitochondria? <laughs> the powerhouse. Exactly. Every, I was talking in another, in a Muslim country, I was talking in a Muslim country on apologetics, asked a guy who's translating from his native language to English, what's the mitochondria? And he looks at me and says, the powerhouse of the cell. It, starting at about third grade, everywhere in the world, you we ask, know it. I don't know why, that scientific point sticks. Yeah, Every is. like It's really weird. Do you know how complex the mitochondria is? No. It's incredible. I just know that in my diagram of the cell in like third grade, it, it had like a little, it looked like a nuclear power plant, because I grew up by the nuke plant, <laughs> so that, that's how they illustrate <laughs> that's it. That's how they so, illustrate it. That's how they illustrate it. You understand yeah, yeah. that you're right there, yeah, in the Simpsonville with the three-eyed yep, fish. Yep, I grew up right, right by Arkansas Nuclear One. There you go. Um, so it's complex. It's complex. I mean, you're talking about taking one type of protein, converting it to another type of protein with an energy output to hmm. to sustain this life that's there in this single cell. Like, every part of the mitochondria had to come together by chance in the same place at the same time and all do their function perfectly for a single hmm. living cell to exist. Wow. One cell. Like, you know what the statistical likelihood by of chance. that is? Yeah, by chance. 
the statistical likelihood, it's statistically impossible. So you have something in statistics called a statistical impossibility. We talk about this when I talk about inerrancy of Scripture, too. Um, and the way it's defined is it's no longer reasonable to assume the event will ever occur. Wow. In other words, you can roll the dice out for infinity. It's never going to happen. It's not statistically possible for that one cell to come into existence. And then you move forward. So that single-cell organism, which, by the way, they say oh, you're, you started as a simple single-cell organism. Again, there's no such thing as a simple organism. Every organism is complex. Yeah, you need to define what simple means. Yeah, simple's got a very flexible definition in this instance. Yeah. So you were kind of right. I mean, when they have that, when I had that third grade illustration, it had the nuclear plant. Like it's as complex as a nuclear plant. Oh yeah, yeah, every bit of it. I mean, wow. And you get into what some what some single cell organisms do. Like one of them's got a little phalange, what we call fingers, but mm-hmm. they, it's in a different level. But um, it'd be the equivalent. This thing swims through liquid, right? This single cell organism. It would be the equivalent of us swimming through peanut butter at 60 miles an hour. Wow. That's what it's okay. This, this little single-cell simple, wow. end quote, organism is able to do. But eventually you move from uh, you have asexual reproduction. Mm-hmm. It's uh, occurring first, despite the fact that, by the way, the Bible says in the beginning he created the male and female. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. have asexual reproduction. That's another issue with evolution and uh, creationism. Um, asexual reproduction eventually going to sexual reproduction, right? Which seems like a... Huge jump. That's a huge jump. It's That's a huge jump, and it seems like things would struggle to reproduce. It almost seems like de-evolution because it would be easier to survive through asexual through reproduction. Asexual reproduction. Yeah, yeah it doesn't go th- towards survival of the fittest. Yeah. And this planet is 25,000 miles in circumference, all right? Mostly oceans at this point in the timeline on the evolutionary scale. And so this these se- the sexual reproduction would have began in these oceans is Big as even our oceans are now, all right? So a male and a female had to come into existence at the same time, at the same place, and had to know to be interested in one another, Mm -hmm. and had to be Mm. compatible for reproduction because we can't cross the speciation lines in reproduction. Mm -hmm. And so, like, what's the statistical likelihood of that happening? Mm. I mean, nil to zip. And yet that's the theory that's being put forth here. Wow. In this, and so when I say the people, you know, Hitler quoting, quoting Hitler here, the people are more likely to believe a big lie than a small one. Like well, that's a pretty big lie, really. Yeah, so. that's huge. Man, Chris, this has been like my mind is just blown constantly. Well, let me make one more comment on the results of this, though. Yeah. All right. So let me give you a few results. So guys, you look in, at nineteen fifty nine. The average school textbook in our primary schools had between two and three thousand words mentioning the topic of evolution. In 1959. By 1963, it jumped to 33,000 words. Wow. All right. And now there were several factors that went into this. You also had Madeline Murray O'Hare, you know, who was wanting to take prayer out of schools in the sure. early 1960s. Uh, you had the, uh, the cold, this is in the heart of the Cold War. Hmm. And Sputnik was launched, right? Americans freaked out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and get this, and there's a whole book on this called The Cold War Reconstruction of American Education. Hmm. Uh, so if you want a long title for a book that's probably not the most riveting read, that's, there's one for you. But, um, but it talks about the logic in the scientific community was, well, how are the Soviets ahead of us in science? Because they launched Sputnik. Yeah. The conclusion was because they're teaching evolution in their schools. Secularists. Hmm. And I'm like, those aren't even related to one another. It's like two incredibly <laughs> wow. different fields of science. Jump. But here's the result, guys. Um, starting, you got about a four-year window where the, the number still held fairly steady, which is okay. one round of high school students. 
And then you go to percentage of teenage girls who had premarital sex begins to skyrocket starting in 1963. Sexually transmitted diseases were up 385%. Yeah, I mean, we call that period sexual revolution in yeah. North America. Hmm. So. Guys' pregnancies went up 553%. Birth rates only went up 100% because abortion, unfortunately, was happening. So you're drawing a correlation between secularization uh, and uh, well, of course, worldliness. Because yeah. The, the absolute no truth, the definitive of what is right, what is wrong, has been removed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're taking prayer out of schools, and you're telling kids, you share a common heritage with an earthworm. You're an animal. You're simply here, evolved, as you said earlier. Mm-hmm. You're just a byproduct of a bunch of chance over the course of billions of years. So why live according to any type of moral standard? So why to do the moral standard? So then we see child abuse, guys. Child abuse rose 2,300% in five years. And that should follow the population growth curve, but it doesn't. Illegal drug use, up 6,000%. Uh, violent crimes, up 995%. Only one stat went down. SAT scores. <laughs> I'm serious. Like after that, we had the SATs. We've had to dumb down the SATs numerous times over the years because students simply couldn't pass them. Hmm. Which, hey, you tell kids they can't pray before a test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, the BCM students are like firm believers in praying before tests. Oh, I'm they sure. they do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, wow. man, Chris has been helpful. Um, what you believe, even even if it doesn't seem important, has drastic effects. Hmm. And uh, we can look to the Bible for information on all these things. Well, A.W. Tozer, the theologian, said this, The history of mankind will demonstrate that no people and or society will rise above their concept of God. And what that means is our concept of God directly determines how we live. Yeah, it does. Hmm. I think that's a good one to end on. Until next time, this has been Lead Defend. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. To hear more episodes from the Lead Defend crew, visit absc.org slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, rate and review us on your favorite podcast listening site. Want to learn more information about the next Lead Defend conference? Visit leaddefend.org.